Would you guys stand with me as we read our scripture for this morning? Our scripture this morning is in Acts chapter 4, 31 to 5, 16. The word of the Lord. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you have sold the land for so much. And, and she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The word of the Lord. Can you hear me? All right, there I am. Uh, thank you for reading uh, scripture. So let me, uh, let me give you a quick kind of rundown 
So this will be the last sermon uh, the, in this series of Acts for a few weeks. Uh, next week, as Annette said, uh, we're going to have uh, Mike Force preach for us. I feel really loud. Can you turn me down a little bit? It's Thank you. Okay. And then we're going to go into the season of Advent. So we'll go through a sermon series where we're going to be looking at different aspects of who Jesus is. And I'll be preaching that. Bill McKeon is going to preach one of the sermons in that series with us. When we're on the other side of Christmas, we will jump back into the book of Acts uh, and land there for a little bit longer before we move on to other things. So just kind of big picture where, where we are going as a church. Let me pray for us now, and then let's, uh, let's jump into our passage for the night, for the day. Father, we are, um, we're here today because we need to hear what you have to say, and so we ask that you would come and that you would speak to us, that you would uh, show us not only the, the events, but the significance of the things that are happening in these three stories that we have just read this morning. Uh, and to see uh, in these three snapshots and these three pictures to be able to see uh, how you're continuing to work in the same way in your church today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want you to imagine maybe, maybe this wall exists in your house. Maybe this wall exists in your parents' house or in your grandparents' house. The wall of pictures. You know what I'm talking about? That wall where, you know, you're still a, a middle school kid. Uh, you know, really dressed up nicely. That wall exists in my parents' hallway. Uh, and, and when you, you know, have these walls in people's homes that have all these pictures, maybe it's a headshot, maybe it's a, a family trip, uh, you begin to get a sense of the story of whatever family, maybe it's your family, maybe it's somebody else's family that you are, that you're visiting. Well, what I want us to do is I want us to think of these three stories as pictures, uh, and each of these pictures is telling us some, some different things about the life of the church. And, uh, and where I want to go with this is to say that this is our, this is our family wall, uh, that these pictures are actually pictures of what God has been doing in the history of our family, which we call the church. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, you think of like, if I showed you one picture of my trip, our family's trip from Boston to San Diego. Uh, one picture, okay, you know. Uh, but when, if I showed you a series of pictures, you would get a better sense of what the trip was like. Uh, so what we're going to do today is instead of looking at one story and seeing what is that one story has to tell us, I want to look at three stories. So we're obviously not going to be able to explore everything that there is to explore in these three stories. But we're going to look at these three stories, look at them together, and say, what's the, what's the, the story, the larger picture that Luke wants us to understand about the nature of the church? Earlier in this series, and I've been wanting to bring this back up again, and I keep forgetting to do it, but earlier in the series, I uh, talked with you all briefly about the idea of the redemptive edge. Uh, and if you were here that Sunday that I talked about it, what, what we said was that the redemptive edge is this idea that, that people who study missions uh, talk about. It's that place where the kingdom of God is advancing, uh, that place where souls are being saved, deeds of mercy are being done. Uh, and what I want to suggest to you is that these three pictures, really the whole book of Acts, but, but these three pictures really are pictures of what's happening when the church is living at the redemptive edge. 
Uh, and, and so it's a call to us to remember that that's where Jesus is calling us to be as well. So the three pictures that we're going to look at are going to be, first of all, a picture of an empowered church. That's going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. The second picture is going to be a picture of an embattled church, and that's going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And then we're going to look at a picture of uh, an engaged church, and that's going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. And I got them all to start with E, almost all to start with an EM sound, so I don't quite hit the Presbyterian card this week, but I'm close. Um, so now, to, to help us understand what's going on, uh, we need to recognize something happened, right? Last week, Bill did a great job preaching for us about the opposition that the church was beginning to face. So if you remember back at the beginning of chapter 4, Peter and John are going into the temple. They're going to pray. This lame, uh, this, uh, this crippled man, crippled his entire life, about 40 years old, uh, is healed. And everyone's all of a sudden like, what's going on? They start listening to Peter and John preach. The religious leaders are not happy with that. They begin to threaten them. They arrest them. We skipped over uh, the next part of the story, which is where the response is for them to turn to the Lord in prayer. And the reason we skipped that over is because I've already preached that passage. That was actually the second sermon I ever preached for you guys was on that particular passage. So we're jumping ahead, but we don't want to jump too far ahead because we have to understand what happened and we have to understand how they're responding. And we see that in verse 31 of chapter four. After they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, um, if, if you're a right-in-the-Bible kind of person, um, I would, I, I, I underline them, prayed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I would even add under there, underline the word boldly, because these three words are going to help us understand everything that we're about to see. Uh, so let's look, first of all, at what a what a church that is uh, spirit-empowered, this is a big picture, spirit, a spirit-empowered and prayer-dependent church will be generous with those inside and outside of the church, and it will be uh, able to rest in the fact that God is protecting it. That's, that's the big picture. That's what we're going to look at. All right, so first of all, we're going to look at the empowered church. Uh, so they, they turn in prayer, the Spirit comes on them again. It's a scene that's very reminiscent of Pentecost, right? They're praying, Spirit comes in power, uh, and then they turn out and begin to speak. Uh, and what, is re what really jumped out at me as I was thinking about this was two things. There's this passage in the book of Romans where uh, Paul says about our salvation, about what happens when we put our faith in Christ. Uh, he says this, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. The NIV translates it, uh, the spirit of adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So um, when we put our faith in Christ, what happens uh, it, well, there's a lot of things that happen, but, but uh, for the purposes of what we're trying to see here today, what happens is that the Spirit comes and a spirit of fear that we may have had before is taken away 
and a spirit of being the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God, replaces it. And the result of that, as we see in our passage for today, was boldness. I don't think it's a mistake that we see Holy Spirit show up again in this particular passage. And so what I want to submit to you is that that faith in Christ not only um, makes us have a right standing with God so that our sins are forgiven, but it gives us a new relationship with God. We are now able to call on the creator of heaven and earth, of all of the stars, of all of the planets, of all of the galaxies, of all of the supernovas in the universe. That God, that king, we can call Abba Father. And because we can call him Abba Father, we can have boldness. Now, they took the threats of the Sanhedrin, of those religious leaders that Bill preached about last week, they took those things very, very seriously. But it did, they did not fall into a spirit of fear that kept them from being able to do what God was calling them to do. No, in fact, what happened is they, they did exactly what the Sanhedrin asked them not to do, not asked, commanded them not to do. And they began to go out and preach. And so what you see is boldness in two respects. This is the second thing is we see that the boldness that they have shows up in two different ways. First of all, there's boldness with their words. We see that in verse 33, right? They're, they're going out and they're speaking to people. But then we see a boldness in their deeds. And what's interesting is in this part of the story, in this picture, the boldness is deeds of love and mercy for those inside the community. So what happens? Uh, verses 34 and 35 says that there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought the proceeds were sold and laid at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each uh, as any had need. And then we're told about this particular man named Joseph. Joseph is a Levite. So that means that his family tree is from the, from the priestly tribe of Israel. Uh, he's a native of Cyprus. Cyprus, if you can kind of picture in your mind the Mediterranean Sea, Cyprus is that island just south of Turkey that looks like it's pointing its finger up towards the southern edge of, uh, of, of where Turkey starts taking the southerly route. Um, and, and his nickname, Joseph's nickname is Barnabas. Uh, and that nickname means son of encouragement. So this is the guy that you want to have as a friend. Right, this is the guy that when things are bad, when things are down, you call Barnabas because he's going to encourage you. Uh, and the Spirit is working in the church, and Barnabas is, along with presumably other people, Barnabas is given to us as an example of someone who uh, sold a piece of land and took all of the money and brought it to the church and said, here, please use this in order to further the work that the church is doing. Um, it is so encouraging uh, when that kind of things happens. The, the church that I pastor, I was a pastor at before uh, in Boston, Christ the King. There's a one individual that was very, 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 very generous to the church. While he was alive, uh, he helped the church uh, in a really significant way, our congregation that we had in Cambridge, uh, to be able to have, uh, to buy a property. And you understand that, you know, similar to San Diego, right? For a church to own a church building, uh, in a city like Boston, is no small feat. Uh, but his generosity continued. In fact, uh, this individual, uh, after he died, left a trust for the church uh, so that after his wife died, 
the gift that Christ the King got was, uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm allowed to say, but it was really generous. Uh, it was a game-changing amount of money, lots of zeros, uh, that was given to the church. Uh, and, and that kind of generosity, if, you know, from what I've been told about this individual, I never, I never had a chance to meet him, uh, was, was a very much a part of who he was, right? That's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God, and that's not to say that everybody needs to sell uh, their land and give the money to the church, right? Uh, even Peter says that in chapter 5, verse 4, right? He says to Ananias and Sapphira, like, you didn't, this wasn't required, but a radical generosity is a part of what begins to happen when God's people are understanding who he is and what he has done. Uh, and it begins to affect their, uh, it begins to affect their witness. So let me, let me put out a question for us to ponder and consider. The question is this, how are there ways in which we are living under a spirit of fear and not recognizing that we are the children of God? If we have faith in Christ, we are his sons and daughters. What's interesting is that the, the passage says that we, have, we are given a spirit of adoption to sonship. Now, uh, in the New Testament, there are a number of times that that will be translated as sons and daughters. But, but there's a really important theological point that's being made because the son was the heir. Uh, in this culture, daughters were not heirs. And so part of what's being communicated is that uh, men and women, because we do see in other places in Scripture where it's really clearly that there's no distinction between men and women, but that all people who put their faith in Jesus Christ are heirs of the Father. That we get the full inheritance, and the full inheritance is God himself. That's what's awaiting for us in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's the first picture. It's this picture of, of this church that is because of the, of the prayers that they're praying and the spirit at work in their life, they're able to be super generous with one another and therefore within their community, there are no needs. Now, that's happening in the context of a lot of opposition. We saw the opposition from the Sanhedrin uh, last week. Bill talked about that, that the external opposition. We're not going to get to it at this period of time, but on the other side of our passage that we're looking at today is more external opposition, uh, where the apostles are going to get arrested, and not long after that, someone's going to get killed. But now, here, Luke wants us to see that there was also opposition inside of the church as well. And we're told the story about a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Now, here, the thing really fascinating is that they, Ananias and Sapphira are a study in contrasts to everything that's happening around them. First of all, Ananias and Sapphira are showing radical greed and deception when the church is showing radical generosity as a whole. Secondly, Ananias and Sapphira are withholding money when Barnabas is giving all of his money away. Really strikingly, third, we see that Ananias and Sapphira, Peter accuses them, says that you have been filled with Satan. When we see in contrast that the church has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, the, the uh, fourth contrast, we see that Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead for their sins 
when it seems as if uh, Peter's shadow is even able to heal people who are sick. Some really significant contrasts that are happening here. Uh, And so what's going on? Um, Ananias and Sapphira were not required to sell their property and give the money to the apostles. Uh, They wanted the notoriety of being sacrificial givers without having to be sacrificial givers. Now, you might say like, okay, fine, that's, that's not good, but why on earth would God strike them dead? Doesn't that seem a little excessive? And I'll be honest with you, part of me is like, Ugh. but un- we have to understand what's going on. And part of understanding what's going on, Peter gives us uh, the way to really understand this because he says, this is not just a little white lie. This is not just, you know, not giving uh, all the money that you originally said that you were going to give. This is spiritual warfare. And the reason we know that it's spiritual warfare is because Peter says to Ananias, why have you, why has Satan filled your heart? You understand that Satan was, and still continues to this day, to hate the church. And so what's happening here, I think, is that Satan is trying to sow seeds of deception, seeds of greed, seeds of of having people who are unlike Barnabas to come up in the church in order to undermine what the church was trying to do and who the church was being called to be. Peter says, uh, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the spirit and kept for yourself some of the money that you received? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at, at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? And listen to what he says. You have not just lied to humans, beings, but to God. So it can be really easy for us to see a picture of God here. And to think, oh, God is just this mean tyrant who, who killed this man and woman who made a mistake. But let me submit to you that the proper way of understanding what happens in this, as hard as it is, I'm not minimizing that it's, that it's hard, right? It, this is a difficult passage. Uh, but let me submit to you that a better way of understanding it is that this is the father protecting his children uh, from something that was really dangerous. Uh, and, And that he'll stop at nothing to protect his church. That's not to say that the church is not going to go through tribulation and trial. Uh, You know, we have, we have brothers and sisters who have, um, I think I checked again this morning and as best as I know, we still have brothers and sisters uh, that are being held captive in Haiti. Uh, we're going on, what is it now, a month? Uh, and, 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 you know, we don't know what's going to happen. They could lose their lives. But even if they lose their lives, that does not mean that the Lord will not protect his people. And so here in this particular story, in the face of all of this opposition that's happening, the Lord moves in a really stark way, in a really powerful way, in in an uncomfortable way, let's just be honest, to be able to say all of this opposition that the church was going in, they have the religious leaders breathing threats on them. They have 
internal strife beginning to happen. We, they don't know this yet, but it's what we, what we know will happen is that Stephen will be killed. The persecution will become so bad that they're all going to have to get out of town. The Lord will protect his church. So what have we seen so far? The first point that we saw was that this, this prayer-dependent and spirit-empowered group of people are able to be really bold. And that boldness allows them to be uh, with their words and with their actions to care for one another, to care for those inside the community. Uh, we see that in the face of opposition, both external and internal, that God shows up in a really big way in order to be able to protect his church. And now we see that, um, that this same... Um, same uh, prayer-filled, spirit-empowered group of people are going to uh, be able to have the same kind of radical generosity uh, and care and concern for those outside of the church. Uh, Satan really is. He's waging this two-front war on the church, uh, and and that has not changed. Um, That has not changed. In fact, i I hesitated about whether or not to bring this up, but but all week as I've been thinking about this passage, uh, you know, two two pictures <clears throat> have been coming to mind for me. Right, the one picture of that external threat is this group of seventeen missionaries in Haiti, uh, and then you know I'm, I'm not caught up, but I'm almost caught up with the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, uh, and the picture that that is of the internal conflicts that the church has had. And and I just, I keep thinking to myself, the playbook for the enemy has not changed. Now, last point, Uh, a engaged church. Acts chapter four, verse 23, uh, the the disciples prayed specifically that God would uh, allow his hand to go out so that signs and wonders would be done in order to glorify him. God answers that prayer, chapter 4, verse 23. He answers that prayer in chapter 5, verses 12 and 17. Uh, we are told of this really insane uh, stuff that's happening, right? Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. Peter's shadow is evidently able to heal people. I, I don't have categories for that kind of work of the Spirit, right? That's just so foreign to us today. But that's what God was doing in order to demonstrate and to provide increasing boldness to his people as they were going out. And these miracles that these signs and wonders that they're doing are in part uh, the way that God is um, affirming the authority of his apostles, right? It's just one more way that the Sanhedrin is not able to dismiss what they're doing. Bill did a fantastic job last week. It was really helpful for me to, to remember like how, um, how much in the secret Jesus's crucifixion was. And it's almost as if here in this passage, Jesus is like, you, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you hide this under the carpet. Right, we're going to make this so big and bold that you're just not going to be able to do anything but but respond out of fear. 
In fact, really interestingly, what you see is that people begin to respond in a couple of different ways. We're told in the passage that some people begin to respond by putting their faith in Jesus. But other people are actually turning from Jesus. She says some some wouldn't join them because they're filled with fear about what's going on. And in fact, the the example, we didn't read this, it's actually part of the next passage. Uh, But the high priest himself, it says in chapter 5, verse 17, was filled with jealousy. There's real spiritual battle that's happening here in this passage. And in the midst of this real spiritual battle that's happening, Jesus' kingdom is advancing. The church is living at the redemptive edge. Uh, Earlier this year, uh, my oldest son, Elisha, and I went on a trip together uh, to celebrate his 15th birthday. Uh, and we were actually up uh, in, in, uh, in the Bay Area, uh, and I took a picture of him on a hike that he and I went on. Uh, and, so, you know, I did what everybody does now with pictures, right? I send the picture to everybody in a family in a text thread. So I sent it to my family, and I sent it to my wife's family. And not long after I sent that text out, my father-in-law responds by sending another text, a picture of himself, uh, around the same age as Elisha, around 15 years old. The resemblance is insane, like crazy. Um, So here you have two 15-year-old boys, decades apart from each other, and it's clear that they're the same family. I want to suggest to you that if we look at these pictures here, and we look at what's happening in our day, that the same thing happens. That it's clear that God's church continues to be his church. It's clear that this is our family. These are the pictures on our wall that point to our history and our story. And what that means on one hand is that the Uh, the external opposition is there, right? All we have to do is look at those missionaries in Haiti to be reminded that that's that's true and real. Uh, We see that uh, internal strife is real. All we have to do is listen to the Mars Hill podcast, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, to realize that that's true, right? And we all know other stories like that. The picture of being spirit-filled is also true, right? We we know because scripture tells us that God's spirit is with us. We are spirit-filled. We are spirit-empowered. We can leverage that. We can use that. We need to like step into that. But we, we don't get more spirit than what we have. We already have all the spirit we need, which is all of him. Uh, what I want to suggest to you is that it's that prayer-dependent part. That that's the part that we really need to press into. I've been convinced um, in conversations that I've had and in my own prayers, I've been really trying to be faithful to pray um, 
over the last, really since I got here. Um, I mean, prayer for me was something that I've always struggled with. It's, it's always something that for me has been fits and starts. And I've got moments that are really like, I'm doing great. And other moments where I'm like, I've not prayed in forever. Um, and, um, but moving here, the spirit did something in my heart and I don't know what it is, but I, but I really feel like I'm in a season where by God's grace, I don't say this to boast, um, where like I'm recognizing how much I need prayer. And the corollary to that has been that I'm recognizing how much we need prayer. Uh, and so I don't know what this looks like, but I really think Jesus is calling us to, to increasingly depend upon him in prayer. And, and let me tell you, like, we have something in front of us that is going to be absolutely uh, a moment in the life of our church that's going to require prayer. Um, it is very disruptive for us to have to move facilities for a couple of months with, with an unknown end date. That, that can be a very disruptive thing. Now, I want to be really careful here. I in no way, shape, or form want to communicate that us not being able to be here but having to meet somewhere else is in any way, shape, or form the same as, you know, missionaries being arrested in, uh, or being kidnapped in Haiti or what happens with Ananias and Sapphira or all the other things that we can point to where the church is really being persecuted. Uh, and I also don't want to uh, say that... Um, that there's going to be this massive revolt within the church. I don't believe that either of those things are true. But I know how Satan works. Uh, and I know that in subtle ways, in small ways, he might very well decide this is a moment where I can, in subtle ways, move into this community and cause division and strife, maybe even, in, maybe even in ways that people don't recognize yet. And brothers and sisters, I just want to say, like, we need to start praying now uh, that for the, entire, for the entirety of this process, not just that we would find a building by God's grace, I think we're really close to that, uh, thanks to the hard work that Annette and Chad and others have done, um, but that 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 season would actually be really galvanizing for us as a church, that being able to be back here is something that we can really leverage as a church, that, that Jesus would, would use this as a period of time in the life of our church where we could look back and say, do you remember, do you remember early 22? How good Jesus was to us during that time? Do you remember, like that would be a picture on the wall that we could look back and say, man, Jesus like he met our church during that season. Man, those were sweet days. Man, that was amazing to see how God worked. And he can do that. I believe that he can do that. But, but I believe that that requires us to really press into prayer. Again, I don't want to equate in any way, shape, or form what we see here with that, like I, I want to recognize that there's differences, but but I, in my mind, as I was really thinking about this passage, like man, Jesus is calling us to be prayer dependent because we are His children. Jesus is well, no, we're not Jesus's children. We're the Father's children. Jesus is our older brother, right? The Father loves us because we have been adopted 
into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and I want to celebrate that with you all. I want to I live that out in really beautiful ways. Uh, so uh, this family tree, this, these pictures, right? I, I want us to, we can pick, picture that image, right? Of being able to put a picture on the wall and say, this period in the life of the church, Jesus was with us. In, in ways that were unique and beautiful and good. Will you pray with me towards that end? Not just now. I'm going to pray for that now, right? But will you join me in prayer over the coming months? We're talking about, we're not talking about weeks. We're not talking about one-off prayer here, friends. We're talking about interceding before the king for months. That requires a level of discipline that is really hard for us as Americans. But that's what he's calling us to. So let's begin by praying right now. Gracious Father, we thank you for these pictures that you've provided for us this morning. These pictures where we see your church that has depended so deeply on prayer, has turned to prayer and has experienced an outpouring of your spirit uh, that it was able to face significant opposition and not only face it, but to thrive and to grow and to do powerful ministry in your name. Lord, we fully acknowledge that uh, being moved from this building to somewhere else is not on the same, uh, same plane uh, as what we see in this passage. It's not on the same plane as our brothers and sisters who are uh, kidnapped and, and, uh, and being held for ransom in Haiti. And we pray for them, Lord. We pray that you would release them. We pray for their safety. We pray for, uh, for the kidnappers. Lord Jesus, would you today, uh, would you today, break the hearts of those kidnappers and they may they turn to you in faith. And Father, we want to ask you today to help us to follow our brothers and sisters in the past, to be able to be on our knees, not just figuratively, but even literally, Lord, to be on our knees and pray, not just that we would get through the next few months, but that this season would be a season uh, where we see you move in powerful ways. That this season would be a season where you would unite us in even more deep ways as a church. That this would be a season where, uh, where our, our partnerships with other ministries and churches in this city would be deepened. Uh, that this would be a season, Lord, where we know what it is to see answered prayers. That this season would be a season that we could hang up a picture on the wall and say, then that was a moment where we experienced your power in new and fresh ways. It seems like a really audacious prayer, Lord. But, but you're our Father, and so as your children, we're coming to you and we're asking, would you please do this for us? And if you do, we promise you first that we're going to give you all the credit and all the glory. 
And secondly, we promise you that we won't squander that gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.